0: The Gospel is from Luke, Chapter 6. Jesus said, But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: I was talking to another pastor this week as we were kind of looking at these passages, kind of getting a sort of an initial look together. And and he said, you know, I I want to preach on the gospel this Sunday, but he he said, I feel like before I preach on it, I have to look out at the congregation and say, now remember, you know, God's grace comes first. God loves you no matter what, and and grace is real and all of that. He was going to do this because he saw all of the, of the law, all of the to-do list kind of a thing that seems to be kind of popping out in our gospel for today. Here before us seems to be this, this ethic to live up to that's, that sounds, honestly, to me, rather impossible, at least to do all of the time. But respectfully to my pastoral colleague, I wanted to say, you know, I don't think you have to actually go outside of this text to find the gospel. And maybe what he's doing, is he's probably preaching as well right now, and what we may need to do ourselves is to hear this not as some kind of an ethic that we can achieve, not as something um, impossible kind of tossed into our lap by God who's waiting for us to fail, but rather a vision that Jesus is laying out of what God's reign looks like, of what he's bringing into our world. I think the key part in this text is where it says, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And really even the the very key for this to me is, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I want you to do me a favor and with me, um, this morning, when Jesus says God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, think as I did this week, that Jesus is talking about you and about me. And I think what you will find is that this passage is actually dripping with grace about God, what God has done for you and what God has done for me and for us, despite our shortcomings and our failings. And what I hope you will also see is that this passage is not about doing better or being nicer, as if getting these sort of seven things right will open the path to you, uh, for you to, to heaven or something like that. No, what this is saying is that God has come to you. God has encountered you, has loved you and forgiven you and me and established a kingdom, a vision that we have the opportunity to to reflect. Let me tell you something that I think is absolutely true. I believe without a doubt that all of us are reflecting something to the world. We all kind of stand as mirrors reflecting something back into the world. And this day, I want to take a look at what it means to reflect something and what we might be reflecting. And what better way to do that this day, I think, than looking at this story of Joseph. Now, the story of Joseph, to me, is one of the most amazing of all in the Scripture, um, in my humble opinion. Maybe it's because I got to be a part of Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and it was fun to tell the story in that way. It misses some things, but it's a fun way to do it. Um, and the major pieces we saw kind of laid out in our children's sermon this horrifying betrayal of Joseph by his brothers, this false accusation and the imprisonment, and finally, finally a rise to power and influence over the future good of that kind of corner of the world. In fact, it might be important to note here, by the way, that that it's it's told plainly in the Joseph story that he's not only um, put in this position by God to preserve a remnant of of the Hebrew people, but also to preserve Egypt and the other nations around them. God is is very, very engaged in the life and livelihood and goodwill of all of that corner of the world. But I also have a little bit of pause when I look at this story before us, especially just this kind of snippet of it that we have, this kind of towards the end of the Joseph story. Um, Because like the gospel today, I I think it can be very misused. Joseph's words to his brothers, the words that he speaks in light of this whole story, are absolutely incredible, given the circumstances. But some might read them as seeming to say that their abuse towards him, his brother's abuse towards him, towards Joseph, was all part of God's plan. That what happened to him was necessary. Maybe even to go so far as to say that the brothers don't bear any guilt at all, but even maybe some credit for what they did in essentially treating their brother like he was garbage, like he was a piece of property, and just throwing him away. I want you to hear something clearly, especially, especially if you have ever experienced violence against you or traumatic experience a traumatic loss, abuse of any kind, tragedy. Abuse, tragedy are never part of God's plan or God's will. And the second truth I want you to hear today is equally important. No matter what has happened to you, God's will is for your healing and for your transformation. There's a saying that I learned in the city and it goes like this, God is good all the time, all the time. you know it, and all the time, God is good. yes, that was said over and over, God is good, all the time. and all the time, you got it, all right. Now Joseph sees this, he sees this reality, and it's important to note he doesn't come to this easily. We might be tricked into thinking that by reading just this piece of the story, because by itself, The story today may give you the impression that this is this nice, clean, and whitewashed forgiveness tale. That Joseph is somehow a larger-than-life character, completely outside of anything in the human realm. But before all of this story happens, Joseph actually does a whole number of things with his brothers. They come to him before this to get food um, actually like a year before this to get food, and he holds one of the brothers back as a prisoner, and he, and he returns the money that they gave for the grain to kind of confuse them as, as to what happened. They're not sure if they should go back and give it, give it back or if they, should, if they should never return again. But here they do return because they're hungry again. The famine continues on. And this time, um, Joseph tricks his brothers again. He puts, he puts a cup into the sack of his biologically younger brother. He's got all of the ten brothers or half-brothers to him through another mother. And then his, his, bro- his youngest brother, he puts a cup into his sack. And, and it seems like maybe what he's trying to do is just get his younger brother back with him in Egypt, get rid of all the other brothers, and then they can kind of be together as a family. We don't know any of this. We don't know all of Joseph's intentions. But he does a couple of things, kind of tricky things with his brothers to confuse them, to kind of put them in a place of of fear. and And maybe, maybe he's leading towards even punishing them for what he's done. But he sees in doing these things, he sees his brothers lament their action toward him. They say at one point, all of this is happening because of what we did to Joseph. Now remember, they don't recognize him at that point. They don't know who he is. They haven't seen him for probably 15 years or more. He then sees them advocate for the youngest brother when the cup is discovered. And and again, Joseph has tricked them into thinking that this brother stole that cup from him. They advocate for that younger brother. And Joseph kind of sees this happen with his brothers. He sees them lament over what they've done in the past. He sees them advocate for the younger brother and in seeing these small acts, he sees how God has been working more clearly in their lives as well as what he's seen in his own. And it is then, and only then, that he speaks these words of forgiveness to them. Rolf Jacobson, a professor at Luther Seminary, I was listening to some of his commentary this week, and he notes that he notes something that is, I think, good for all of us to remember when we examine these words that Joseph offers. Because these words seem to, at first glance, kind of dismiss what the brothers have done, even celebrate what the brothers have done. But he says, um, I lost my place. Um, (laughs) He says that, uh, I'm going to get there. amongst yourselves. It's really important, and I want to get it right. So, Okay. He notes something that is good for all of us to remember. He says that unless we have been thrown away by our family, unless we have been jailed unjustly, unless we have been betrayed on several fronts, we don't get to speak the words Joseph speaks. In other words, we are not to tell those who are suffering or experiencing trauma, don't worry, it'll turn out for the best. Or just wait, this is all part of God's plan. Even Joseph doesn't see any of that in the midst of his suffering. Only after a lot of perspective and a lot of change in his life does he become able to see what has happened Does he become able to utter these profound words of forgiveness to his brothers today? But his words belong to him because of the trauma that he has experienced. You see, we don't get to project that on to others. I think that's really important for us to remember. In speaking those words, Joseph does also a few things that I think are worthy of note. First, he doesn't dismiss what his brothers did. He actually names it. When he reveals himself finally to them, he names who he is, which I love, in contrast to what they have done. He basically says, I am Joseph. You sold me into slavery. You see, abuse and trauma can try and take away who we really are who we were created in God's image to be. It tries to take away our identity. What do you see, what happens too often when the world swallows up those who have experienced abuse or just being discarded by others? They destroy themselves often, right? And that's not to blame them, but that's kind of the wording we use. The identity given by the abuser or the trauma takes over. The reflection of the world towards them because becomes too often their own reality, their own sense of their own self. In other words, I am no longer Joseph, but I am waste, I am garbage, I am a nobody. And so I love how when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he claims that name, that identity again. I am Joseph. You sold me into slavery. You discarded me. You threw me Away, But when he names himself, it's in contrast to what they have done and how they have tried to identify him. There's a last piece I think is worthy of noting in Joseph's story. Not only does Joseph name the wrong that was done to him, he speaks the unspeakable. But in saying that, he also takes away the power or influence of the brothers in the story. In other words, never can the brothers say, Well, what we did was actually a good thing. We helped carry out God's plan. Joseph's words kind of rip this statement from his abusers. He names what they did as evil and gives all the credit for any good to God. He does this actually again and again throughout the story when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and Pharaoh says, Oh man, you're such a great guy. You're so smart. You're so wonderful. Joseph says, I didn't interpret your dreams, God did. I spoke the words. God did the interpreting, right? He continues to point to God, and he does it here too. When he says to them, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he is not saying they didn't sell him into slavery. He's not saying they aren't to blame for what they've done. He is saying that where he is right now, completely in power before them, he literally has the ability to to grant them life or death by giving them or not giving them food. He's in that position. It was not their doing that he's there, that he is who he is now. It was entirely God's. In other words, they caused the evil, God caused the good. And in understanding this clearly, Joseph is able to see the delineation between what it means to reflect the world. In this case, it would be probably some kind of revenge towards his brother. He can see the delineation between that and reflecting the reign of God. And in so doing, or so seeing, in this moment of clarity, he does reflect the reign of God toward his abusers. And he offers forgiveness and a new way forward that gives life to all of them. Would God have preserved the promise without this nearly tragic story? Yes! Would God have found another way if Joseph would have reflected the vengeance of the world instead of the reign of God? Yes. But this is what happened. This is the story, a real story in real life. And Joseph, with some perspective and a positive ending to it all, for sure, can now see what a privilege it is to take part in God's story of redemption and transformation. Why? Because he's experienced it himself. And he chooses in that moment to reflect the reign of God rather than the oppression of the world. This takes me back to our gospel today in Luke and reinforces for me that it is not a list of things that I have to do to get close to God or to be righteous. For where I find myself before God, as I read this, is as an enemy, as a beggar as worthy of judgment, as a sinner. I am one who reflects a petty world, looking for instant gratification, looking to be right all the time, looking to get my way. But in this word from Jesus, I see God in the flesh right before me, calling me friend, giving me abundant grace, naming me, as redeemed, as a child of God, and showing unending kindness and unending mercy. I see in Jesus' words a picture, a vision of the reign of God, right here, right now in the flesh, not just something to come, but right here. And I see a smiling face and an outstretched hand inviting me to see the difference to delineate that difference between the reign of God and the reign of the world and to reflect the one that works for my good, for your good, for the good of all. So God grant us the grace. God grant us the courage to reflect to our community, to our family, to our neighbor and neighborhood, and to our world this vision of who God is and what God's reign looks like from a God who has come to us and has lived this with us and has given this to us so that we may know who we are and we may reflect to others who they are in the lens of God's abundant grace. Let it be so among us. Amen.